Tonight's show is pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders every weeknight at 6. I'm Billy Palmer, and tonight, the first day of April, marks the beginning of Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And we have rejoined with our partners at the Rape Recovery Center for another series throughout the month in an effort to end rape culture throughout our communities. So tonight and on other nights this month, we will have a guest community co-host, Daniel Martinez, Outreach Coordinator for the RRC. Hey, Daniel. Hello. And Jorge Barraza back again. He is the Education Coordinator for the Rape Recovery Center as well. Hi, Billy. It's nice to be back. Tonight, we'll be talking about a very important day coming up next week, which is Start by Believing Day on Wednesday, April 7th. It's the day that provides an opportunity for communities across the country and across the world to unify with a single voice for those who have been victims of sexual violence. We hear you, we see you, and we are here to support and help. So we're going to be talking about Start by Believing and the pledge that started with that. Um, It was It's a nationwide campaign, and it started in Utah, and we're going to give listeners an opportunity to hear about other programs and events that they can be involved with throughout the month. So stick around for the hour as we hear from End Violence Against Women International, Justin Boardman and Angela Romero, who pioneered the International Day, and Charlotte Hansen, a victim's advocate in West Valley. And as always, we'll start with some rallies and resources. And for our rallies and resources, I believe... Daniel Martinez. Yes. So we have a couple of events happening throughout the month. The first one is happening next week, April 5th um, at 530. It's called Beyond Sex Ed, a talk on boundaries and consent for the TikTok generation. Jorge is actually going to be the one presenting. So we're really excited. On April 7th, we have the pledge start by believing day of action. And if you follow us on Instagram, there might be a small little giveaway if you pledge your support. April 15th, we have a presentation that we have done with the Women's Resource Center called How to Speak Your Language of Sex, Love, and Play. We're going to have Ignacio um, Huita, who's coming over, who have we, we're very excited to have them. And then April 19th, we're going to have Modeling Healthy Behaviors, Keeping Kids Safe While Spending More Time Online. And this is going to be in collaboration with Digital Responsibility, so an organization dedicated to talking with parents about abuse and consent. April 20th, we have a presentation with the University of Utah's Wellness Center. It's a match. So speaking on relationships in the digital age and the pandemic, especially now that we're kind of doing more online dating, think Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, all of that good stuff. So very excited. April 27th, we have supporting survivors during a global pandemic. That one I am going to host. I'm very excited. It's just discussing what are ways that we can reimagine how we support folks who have our survivors of sexual violence. And then finally, on April 29th, we're going to announce our Pillar of Hope awardees. Billy is aware of this award. Um, he received this um, this past year. And so this year, we're going to announce it once more. So we're very excited for that. Wow, that um, is exciting. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. And uh, we'll be talking with another uh, Pillar of Hope Award E as well in in just a moment with Angela Romero here in our virtual studio. Thank you so much. And you can find all of those events on our Rallies and Resources page. And you can get there through krcl.org. Click on Community Affairs and you're there. 
Coming up, we'll be talking about Start by Believing Day, which is April 7th, coming up next week. A day of solidarity and action for survivors. We'll be talking with advocates and experts about best practices as we've learned more and more on how to support folks and what folks are facing whenever they experience violence. But to help us frame the conversation, I reached out to the training and technical assistant specialist and start by believing community liaison for the End Violence Against Women International organization, Allison Jones Lockwood, to talk about the Start by Believing initiative and the creation of Start by Believing Day. The concept for Start by Believing actually began many, many years before we officially launched the campaign in 2011. Our CEO, Joanne Archambault, was a sergeant in the child abuse unit for San Diego Police Department. And the, the concept originally came to her way back then in the 80s because she was just astounded that kids were coming forward and reporting that they had been sexually abused and the kids weren't being believed. And it was primarily the mothers of the children who were not believing their own child. And, and she just was, she was shocked by this. And then she transferred to the sex crimes unit and was a sergeant there. And the problem got even worse. Um, women were coming forward stating that they had been sexually assaulted and people were not believing them. Law enforcement was not believing them. So the Start by Believing campaign was a dream of hers for many years, like I said, before we launched it in 2011. And then when we originally launched the campaign in 2011, we really had no idea where, where the campaign would ultimately go and what it would look like now 10 years later. Um, it's grown exponentially since then. That explains the importance of why Start by Believing was started. Like you say, it spread here in Utah. We'll be talking a little bit later with uh, Representative Angela Romero, a former police officer, Justin Boardman, because they took on the initiative and pushed it to uh, through legislation here to have a Start by Believing initiative in Utah. So was that part of the reason why it was started so that people could start um, adopting the philosophy for, the, for themselves. Ultimately, Start by Believing was created to change the conversation around sexual assault. Instead of responding to victim disclosures with doubt and blame, we want to flip the script and respond with support and empathy. We want to improve health and healing outcomes for survivors of sexual assault. We want every survivor to be met with support and empathy and belief when they disclose to a loved one or a criminal justice professional that they've been sexually assaulted. So ultimately the campaign seeks to end the cycle of silence around sexual assault by creating supportive environments. And when we launched the campaign in 2011 and, and to this day, 10 years later, it's always been very community driven. Uh, we might be the, you know, the gatekeeper nationally, so to speak, of the campaign, but every campaign is unique. Every community launches their campaigns a little bit differently. And Utah has always been supportive of the Start by Believing campaign, particularly when Representative Angela Ramiro created Start by Believing Day in Utah in 2015. With her support um, and credit to her, we took her initiative and launched it nationwide in 2016. Wow, I didn't realize that part of the history of it. That's 
that's pretty amazing. So we'll be talking with her a little later on, and we'll have to give her her due uh, credit for that. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to say, okay, we want people to start believing. But when you start thinking about people, you're thinking about, one, this culturally, how we deal with people and the shame of sexual assault and the stigmas of sexual assault. So then you have structures. You have uh, the police force who are taking in reports from people who have been uh, sexually assaulted. You're taking uh, into account judges, lawyers, you name it. So it goes a little bit deeper and it seems like the work, when you think about it that way, is pretty broad. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. So Start By Believing is a campaign for every person. It's not just about educating our responding professionals on how to respond appropriately, because the first person that a survivor typically discloses to is a family member or a friend or a loved one or a coach or a teacher. And we need to make sure that that first person they disclose to is just as prepared for how to respond as law enforcement. We know that survivors usually tell two to three support people before they report to law enforcement. And if one of those support people is not supportive or does not believe them, the survivor will likely shut down and never make a formal report and might never reach out for support after that and bury that trauma and that burden for many, many years. So it's a community aspect, it's a criminal justice aspect. And you mentioned judges and lawyers, but I would also add jury pools to that. We need to ensure that everyone that comes into contact with sexual assault, sexual assault understands the dynamics and understands the trauma so that they better understand the full picture for the survivor. Thank you so much for sp speaking with us. We're going to have a great conversation. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about Start By Believing as well as some of those things on how to respond to p survivors in the coming month for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Really appreciate your time. That's Allison Jones Lockwood with a really long title. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Take care. That was Allison Jones Lockwood, Training and Technical Assistant Specialist, Start by Believing Community Liaison from End Violence Against Women International. And as you heard, Utah State House of Representative Angela Romero, very instrumental in creating the day. And we just happen to have her here in our conversation. Angela Romero, uh, Start by Believing, it's still an initiative that you're pushing towards folks and trying to grow it uh, as we continue to figure out how we can better support victims. So what's new with uh, Start By Believing? Well, I want to say there's nothing really new, but this year we really wanted to get other elected officials to invest in Start By Believing Day and to take the pledge and to encourage people that if they've been a victim or if they're a survivor and they need someone to talk to, what resources they can utilize through the Rape Recovery Center and Utah Yukasa, um, which is Utah Against Sexual Assault Coalition. So we're working with Rape Recovery Center and Yukasa, and I've got commitments from our governor and our lieutenant governor and our county mayor and our, our city mayor and some other elected officials will be um, 
pledging to start by believing and we'll be utilizing social media to kind of to put it out there so that people are aware of what Start By Believing is and why important Start By Believing Day is. And the reason why we started at Start By Believing Day and Justin Borman was there right along with me and um, Julie Valentine, who's worked with me on legislation on sexual assault and some other, other individuals that were passionate about sexual assault and, and making sure that people knew what resources they had, because we just didn't want this to be a resolution just to commemorate Start By Believing. We wanted it to be ongoing. So we were creative and we picked a day and we made sure it was a concurrent resolution so that it would happen yearly. And so what we're doing is building off of this just to make sure that people are aware that sexual assault is underreported and that there are services and, and there are people there for individuals who've been sexually assaulted, regardless if when regardless of when the situation happened, we want them to know that they need that there are people there to support them and to um, help them move forward in, in their life. Because as you know, sexual assault is a lifelong, you, you never you never walk away from it. You have to always consistently work through it. And so we want people to know that there's resources there for them. Justin Boardman, you were a police officer at the time at West Valley with the Special Victims Unit. And now you're a consultant uh, with an independent company and you're advocating for victims of violence of all sorts uh, throughout the country and doing trainings and, and uh, trying to spread the message of trauma-informed interviewing, uh, as well as some other things that you can probably tell me better than I can say right here. At the time, as a police officer, your concern was what? And why did you, why did you get involved? So getting involved, my concern was, first off, as, as a detective and investigating these cases, and seeing how many cases were actually being filed or even reported was a huge concern to me. Uh, when we, when someone would come forward and I would take, I would investigate that case, people had all sorts of different misconceptions about what sexual assault is and, and they had biases around it. Heck fire. I had biases around it. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you that I was wrong. I was wrong in a lot of my views and how I used to investigate these type of crimes when it came to adults. Um, and so does the, the justice system. Um, and so as I learned um, and tried to be a little bit more open-minded, I saw where a lot of mistakes were being made and misconceptions were. And what that does is it also, it hurts our, our victims and traumatizes them. And also that also starts spreading word of mouth, if you will. And it just builds and builds and builds to where you have all these misconceptions about um, sexual assault. So um, one of the mindsets with the start by believing is investigating these cases, these type of cases to solve them. Um, whereas in the past, at the very beginning, I was investigating these cases to close them. It's two different mindsets. Um, you know, when we go out to a bank robbery, we don't investigate to close that case. We investigate to solve that case. But for some reason in um, the police culture, investigation culture, well, even outside of that, for that matter, we investigate and look at these cases to close them and make them go away. 
So when you talk about some of those mistakes uh, that we were making, I think I've heard you say years ago on the show that as you're doing these investigations and you're interviewing people that have been um, assaulted, that even in your interviewing, there is, within your training, a person who is suffering trauma might be expressing in the same way that somebody's lying and they're trying to remember as they go along. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So it's very counterintuitive. Um, trauma is a normal reaction to abnormal circumstances. So how they're presenting, how people present to you in trauma can change from one person to another. But a lot of the ways that trauma will come out uh, are very similar to ways when um, police are investigating cases where we might think somebody is lying where they can't get their story straight. They are angry at us for talking to them. Um, it may appear like they're super nervous, all sorts of things like that, which were a result of trauma. So we were um, trying to do the best we could. We just didn't have the training to go, oh, what they're saying, these reactions that they're giving us are actually truthful. Um, or are consistent with trauma being traumatized and then investigating from that point to where we would look at that and go, oh, this is how the suspect that was lying to me about um, stealing items out of a car, they put their story in the same sort of way. So it was very confusing to us. So start by believing as that comes along and, and we jump back to five years ago, you're realizing this is something that uh, you're seeing within the police force and the need for training so that you can do your jobs better, uh, so to speak. Absolutely. Not just do our jobs correctly, but also better and being more compassionate to our citizens, which in this day and age is extremely important, um, showing compassion. So when we learn about trauma and we learn how to show compassion to other people, we're also learning about what's happening to us because police officers, there's not one out there that's not traumatized and has not seen horrific sort of circumstances um, and experienced horrific things. And so they start seeing what's happening within them as well. And hopefully starting to um, get support and fix themselves and then that also improves the case on through, mm -hmm. um, you know, in changing this type of investigation or um, the justice system, certainly trauma is so important. It's number two in line, but we also have to um, help ourselves and it helps us learn uh, with the success. But I, I want to interject here, Billy, because uh -huh. With the resolution to start by believing that passed we also passed hb 200 in 2017 which required posts to do um, sexual assault um, training and, and trauma-informed as well as the um, utah prosecution council offering training beyond posts for um, law enforcement and other entities to be trauma-informed and how they approach someone who's been a victim of sexual assault in this session. We've added domestic violence to that. So um, 
from 2015 to where we're at now, um, the, on the policy end, we've changed that. I don't know how that um, changes the way people respond who have been in law enforcement, but this was something that we worked on in changing how policing is done when it comes to victims of sexual assault and domestic violence and human trafficking. As a prevention coordinator, uh, you know, my my job is more about preventing it from happening to begin with, right? Uh, uh, like I, I always say, prevention isn't, you know, self-defense classes. Uh, prevention is not needing self-defense classes. Um, and uh, But how we react and respond to victims and survivors is part of prevention as well. Because when we respond in an appropriate way, we're also sending out that signal uh, to the community that this is not okay. Um, and for too long, we've kind of kept it kind of quiet and, you know, like have victims just go deal with it. And, and we don't look in the mirror at how we play a part in it. And a lot of times how we're victims or perpetrators as well uh, of trauma. Uh, and so I think what, one of the most common requests I get is trainings on how do I respond to a disclosure? And I think people want to know how. Uh, it, it's just very scary. Uh, I might say the wrong thing. Right. And I think even if people don't quite understand it, you know, it's not crystallized in their mind. People realize that you can cause more damage by responding the wrong way. Um, but I always tell people, don't be afraid. It's actually really easy. Um, and um, it's there are three things I, I always tell people when I do trainings. I just did one for a fraternity uh, yesterday. Uh, and it was number one. Uh, start by believing. So just saying, I believe you is incredibly powerful. Uh, we have a therapist at RC Rape Recovery Center that recently shared with me, he has a client who experienced uh, childhood sexual abuse and then sexual assault in his 20s. And it's been about 10 years since, since that occurred. And when he went to the first session with him, uh, the therapist said, I believe you. And that opened up the floodgates. He said, no one has ever told me they believe me. So he'd been carrying this around from childhood and no one had ever said, I believe you to him. And so, I mean, that's incredibly powerful. The second thing I say is let them know it's not their fault. Uh, so it's not your fault. And I think too often we do fall back on why were you there? You know, what were you doing? Why didn't you know better? Why didn't you fight? All of that is victim blaming. You know, at, at the end of the day, no amount of intoxication or undress is consent, I like to say, um, you know, and and some people don't like that. You know, uh, if people like there is a place for harm reduction, but again, that is not consent. So it's not your fault. because That's one of the big reasons why people don't report or seek help. And as a matter of fact, I, I don't even like saying the term people report or don't report. I like to say seek help because. For reporting to me, it, it kind of... Reporting sort of gives off the feeling of it's a, it's an, it's a requirement or a duty or a, 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 something that you're, you're supposed to do. Rather exactly. Than, ra and it, it, rather than it being something that just happened to a person and a very real reaction to something is, oh my gosh, what just happened to me? How did this just happen to me? And the very many things that come up from a, for a person, the last thing on their mind is, 
I've got to get right down to the police station. I've got to report this. It's my duty to society to say report something, right? Exactly. You know, so I, I prefer the term, you know, seeking help, right? Uh, that a victim seeks help. However, that may be, it may be through law enforcement. It may be through community advocates like RRC and other places, wherever it is. You know, the important thing is as a society, as a community, that we meet survivors where they're at and, and fit those needs. So, uh, again, you know, I believe you. It's not your fault. And the third one, which is critical too, is how can I support you? Uh, we don't tell victims what to do or what they should do. Uh, these are crimes of power and control, uh, and the person has already been disempowered. Someone, you know, felt entitled or you know to, you know, exercise power and control over their body uh, when it comes to sexual violence. Uh, and the last thing we need we need to do is disempower them even more. What we need to do is let them make the choices that they need. Even if that is, I don't want to report. I don't want to talk to anybody else. That's okay. The victim knows what they need and it's up to us to support them and get our ego out of the way and our feelings and maybe our anger and especially anger and sense of revenge can actually make the victim feel uh, worse. Uh, like I'm, I'm making this person worry or, oh my goodness. So it's, we have to get ourselves out of that, you know, equation at that moment, stay calm and just say, how can I help you? Uh, it's important to know resources, you know, know, you know, you know, you can give a person their options. Uh, you know, we can we can go to the a medical facility. We can report to law enforcement. We can, you know, call a crisis line or a crisis center, uh, but not without telling them what to do. Just giving them those options in that situation. Another big thing, also, and I know I'm going on for a bit here, is disclosures can look very different. Um, you know, I. We think of disclosures, uh, someone like relaying something like that. And this is very common, yes, where someone will pull you over to the side and say, I got something to tell you, you know, during a moment. But sometimes uh, I've seen disclosures where the person is making jokes or making light. Uh, and it's just a way of trying to cope and measuring out to see if someone understands what's happening. Um, and so I've seen those cases where someone is making light of an experience uh, and when I feel it's appropriate, I'll approach them about it and then they'll open up more. And I've never had somebody be mad at me over that. Uh, if they don't want to talk, that's fine. Uh, so a person may not. So what you're saying is a disclosure may look very different depending on the person. One person may come out and say, I need help. Another person might say, uh, talk about a couple things that um, that um, to, to, to feel their way through on your response. I think on the disclosure, a big part of it is how they disclose it. Sometimes folks don't even know that something traumatic has happened to them. And I think even uh, how Jorge says someone joking about it, that's their way of processing. A lot of times when trauma occurs, we don't even know that that it takes a little while. And it also goes back to that conversation of why did someone take maybe two years to disclose that, you know, they were sexually assaulted? Well, um, 
why did it take so long, right? Those kind of questions, that kind of stigma. And a lot of time it's because folks are still processing what happened to them. And so in the way that Jorge is describing disclosing, it looks very differently. For someone, it may be immediately, hey, I was sexually assaulted five minutes ago. I need to go report it immediately. That's their way of coping and processing with it. Some folks, they may need to, for whatever reason, I need to go take a shower. I cannot be here. I need to get out. I don't want to tell anyone, shut down. And that's also a coping mechanism and a way to process it. So everyone goes through it very differently. So I think when Jorge is discussing very much the disclosure, it's how people process their own trauma and what has happened in the way. And it doesn't mean it's wrong or it's right. It's just their way of dealing with it. And I think of being trauma informed is understanding that that is that person's own autonomy. Same way Jorge said, it has been taken from me. This is my way of kind of like somewhat taking that back, if that makes sense. It's a way of coping and it's a way of processing and disclosure looks very differently for everyone. And I think it just goes back to that conversation of stigma, right? Why do people not report? Why do people not immediately say anything? Why do folks not do anything? And it's because many folks, many don't understand the way that trauma when something so traumatic has happened comes up and that's another way of educating right how do we educate folks to understand that something as traumatic as sexual violence or sexual assault can have a very different impact on very different folks and how they report if they choose to do so they don't have to looks very differently if they disclose and choose not to looks very differently start by believing day is the first wednesday of april that means it's april 7th this year we're going to continue the conversation on how to support survivors. Before we go any further, let's plug in that day. Representative Angela Romero, what are you asking for people to do for Start by Believing Day? We just um, encourage people to take the pledge and to tweet it out on social media. And um, Jorge and Danielle can share that information with you, Billy, so that you can post about it as well. But really, it's um, taking the pledge and letting people know in their lives that they support them. And um, also tagging the Rape Recovery Center in UCASA so that if somebody does need services or they, they want to reach out to someone that there's, they, they have access to the hotline and they have access to people who can guide them. Thank you. That's Utah House of Representatives Angela Romero. Also, Justin Boardman from Boardman Consulting. Your hosts tonight, Jorge Barraza and Daniel Martinez, both from the Rape Recovery Center. Coming up, we'll borrow from all of their expertise on how to support our community in supporting and also preventing, which is another form of support, I would say. And we'll be joined by Victim Services of West Valley Coordinator, Sharla Hansen. And to get there, we'll play a song by Courtney Barnett that's actually about ending rape culture. Nameless, faceless, right here on KRCL 90.9 FM. You're listening to Radioactive right here on KRCL 90.9 FM. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. More news of the trial on Daryl Chauvin tonight. Thursday night, Psych Out with DJ Mike comes around at 8 o'clock. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. I don't sound like nobody at 1 o'clock. And of course, you can always catch Jolene at 3 a.m. in the morning with her amazing blues show, Illustrated Blues. And 6 o'clock, we like to start a brand new day. That's the name of the show with John Florence. Today's show is part one of our three-part series with the Rape Recovery Center for Sexual Awareness Month, which is April. We've been talking about Start by Believing Day that's coming up on April 7th, and you can take the pledge. 
Earlier in the show, you heard from Justin Boardman from Boardman Consulting, Utah State Representative Angela Romero, our two guest community co-hosts from the Rape Recovery Center, Jorge Barraza and Danielle Martinez. I'm Billy Palmer. We continue the conversation that we've been having and turn our attention to better supporting and advocating for and preventing for the sake of survivors. And joining us in this conversation now is Sharla Hansen, who is the Victim Service Coordinator and a Victim Advocate at West Valley City. Charlotte, thanks. We haven't heard from you yet. And as you're hearing this whole conversation in our first segment, uh, what comes to mind as you're um, moving into Start by Believing Day about what you're doing every day and how are things going and how are things changing Um, Yes. First of all, thank you, Billy, for um, having me here. Um, I am so blessed to have worked long term here for West Valley City and be part of an organization that jumped on the Start by Believing bandwagon immediately. Um, Our city was excited for this movement knew that this movement movement was needed and necessary for the progression of law enforcement, for the community, um, and how we actually provide services. Um, having been an advocate before Start By Believing is dramatically different from being an advocate after Start By Believing. Um, before the uh, initiative really took off, um, an initial police officer would respond on scene, get some statements from a victim, put them into a report, and that report would be filed and and submitted with their packet and maybe looked at weeks later by a detective, if that ever occurred. Well, with the Start By Believing campaign, it completely shifted our mindset, and we recognized how to interact with victims in the state of trauma, um, following you know known psychiatric and and um, and social practices that allow us to better serve those victims um, along an appropriate time frame. Um, so when an initial officer goes out on scene, they get very basic information. Um, they don't grill a victim. They don't demand details. Um, they allow a victim to give whatever basic information they choose, and then they immediately get an advocate and a detective on board to work in a trauma-informed way to best serve that victim. And so what we've seen is that allowing victims time, time to really process what has happened to them, time to sleep, time to get a drink and a meal in their stomach really allows a victim to process and be able to articulate what they've been through in a way that allows detectives to actually build a stronger and better case. So what we found is that by allowing a victim to kind of take you know, the, the lead role in their case, really the ultimate goal has been a a successful prosecution, um, which we never had before. We never had um, a high rate of of sexual assault cases getting filed or even adjudicated successfully in the criminal system prior to the start by believing. Um, But now that we um, allow victims to really 
work with us and 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 really direct their case, we have seen a huge success in that. And and that's the justice that our community deserves. It's the justice that all sexual assault victims deserve. And so I, I am so proud of this movement and and Representative Romero, like to create this and to push this is just amazing. And, and I can't thank you enough for, for taking on this, this very, you know, hidden, hidden subject. So Representative Angela Romero, your response to that this advocacy was a lot of work to put together, and you've continued since then with, with more legislation and more work. And for you, the work's still not done. It's a starting point. Um, as we saw this session, when I try to run HB 78, which would um, define affirmative consent in the code, it didn't make it out of committee. And when I tried to ban the use of do-it-yourself rape kits, it got stalled in the Senate. And so... Although we've made um, extensive progress, there's so much more we have to do for survivors of sexual assault. So this is just what I would see a first step, but it's not the end. And so I'm happy to see some of these system changes, but we have a long way to go to do justice for survivors of sexual assault. Justin Boardman, you, with your consulting firm, um, you You've gone from being a police officer who was assigned to a special victims unit to being, I guess, taking that work outside the police force and uh, trying to figure out how you can continue the work. Uh, So it must have impacted you quite a bit in order for you to take this on as a career. Uh, Really wanted to talk about the things that you're seeing changing, but what the effort is now what we all need to come to understand about making sure that we're supporting people and making uh, and creating a world that has less sexual assault. So we talk about that prevention, but we're also talking about that response as well when terrible things happen. Tell us about that work. What what it, what are we missing? Wow, <clears throat> we're missing a lot, um, and that's a pretty broad subject that you just gave me. I'll try to stay more towards the start by believing side. Um, so first off, um, there's, there are so many issues, um, to go after, um, start by believing where we've been, uh, working as a community here in Utah, we've been taking pledges and we've been doing things like that is extremely important. Um, and to talk to our friends and neighbors, have these types of discussions, um, what consent looks like, how to respond to someone um, who's experiencing sexual assault. Um, A couple other things to start thinking about is along the lines of consent is um, body autonomy. Um, Some people are having a harder time um, grasping the concept of consent, but they're having an easier time of body autonomy. This is my body and I can do with it what I want. It's mine. I own it. Right. So that's one of the ways. Um, Another bigger way with bringing in um, Start By Believing is taking it from the individual person. And now let's put it into some of the, what's the best way to put it? More about where we might see our enablers or institutions. So taking um, the Start By Believing program 
and putting it into an institution. Um, like Sharla was saying from West Valley, um, they adopted the Start by Believing program and have been talking about it and so on and so forth. And they've seen things start to improve. So a Start by Believing program just doesn't actually, it was more structured for the general public and not exactly police departments. But for police departments, it's, it's also a wonderful program. But let's be taking that and you'd be taking that into your workplace. And what you're doing is you're starting to educate the systems. You know, how does that disclosure look like in human resources? Human resources is one of the bigger places people will disclose because a lot of times sexual assault, domestic violence will um, affect their workplace and their, um, their work quality and they may get fired and things like that. So if we're bringing that program into more institutional sort of um, areas is a huge thing to start prevention um, and getting that out. Um, I don't know what that looks like per se, but it's certainly um, important, if you will. Um, around the country, we are seeing uh, victims that well, victims need to find justice for what's right for them. Sometimes it's not the justice system. Sometimes it may be support from their friends, which would be also the start by believing. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's the civil justice system. Maybe it's looking at these institutions that are enabling these behaviors to happen. Um, that's one thing. Another way, are finding creative ways to go around certain areas of the justice system. And that's what I've been working on a lot um, in Utah, as well as in Kansas, um, especially in Kansas right now, that's a pretty hot spot for, for me um, and going around because if the system starts off with say ABC police department and the response is not what you feel it should be, or if they decline the case or say, we're not gonna investigate so on and so forth, what do you do, right? So what do you do if you want the case to be looked at by the district attorney's office for possible charges? Well, there's not a mechanism to do exactly that. So in Utah, um, the roundabout way is to um, go to a panel of district court judges and ask for a grand jury to be convened to see if there's um, enough probable cause to go forward. And they make those decisions. So there's all sorts of different creative ways to do, go about doing that. But so that would be on the criminal justice side. But then on the civil side, what does that look like for our victims if they choose to get try for justice there. Certainly like we just said a minute ago with institutional adoption of the Start By Believing program helps and cutting off the enablers that are enabling this stuff to happen. But that may look like civil lawsuits. Sadly, sometimes that's the only way um, institutions will change, including the justice system. Um, I think we have to look at, I know it's not a popular thing, especially for somebody um, formerly of law enforcement, but I think you have to look at qualified immunity in some cases. I think it's a bigger issue.
Mm-hmm. Um, but holding um, institutions accountable as well for enabling this to happen. So yesterday I was on a, another radio show um, talking about um, hazing, if you will, and the Bowling Green uh, death that just happened in the fraternities that still, um, I think his initiation was a handle of alcohol um, in an hour, hour and a half. That's a half gallon, a handle. Yeah, exactly. And he died. So going after the fraternity that is allowing those things to happen or stay a part of their culture. Does that make sense? Right. So starting by believing would be similar to that. But there's all sorts of different areas to uh to agitate it's about culture uh, so Absolutely. so much as we can change systems all we want but we have to we have to in some way find ourselves as a culture of people reducing that notion of shame reducing Absolutely. that notion of uh, not having your own autonomy and being able to say no move away and and get away from um, situations you're not comfortable with all of those things kind of some of those things are attached to shame or not wanting to do the wrong thing. All those sorts of things happen. Really, I'd like to add in the system and, and all of us contribute to that. So when somebody comes forward and says somebody makes me uncomfortable, um, people question that person and, and they're like, are you sure? And somebody's not going to come and say, I feel uncomfortable or this person makes me feel um I don't feel comfortable being alone with them if there isn't a reason. And a lot of times we don't, this goes to child sex abuse. You know, when we try to force um, someone to hug someone that they don't want to hug. And, and so we have to really change those systems. And I know people are like, they look at me and they roll their eyes sometimes, but it, it starts there. You don't force someone to hug the um, creepy uncle or, or aunt in the family, you know, and all of us have one of those individuals in our family. And uh, and many of us were ashamed because we're like, I don't like how this person touches me. Oh, you're just exaggerating. No, there's a reason why I don't feel comfortable. And so it starts there. I mean, and it starts in our own homes. And so we really, you know, it starts, it start by believing, but it's really being firm about that and supporting people when they don't feel comfortable instead of telling them, oh, well, that's just how this person is. We, we tend to make excuses for these perpetrators in our communities because there are people that supposedly are respected, but what about the person who feels uncomfortable? And so it's not even about the sexual assault piece. It's just about the harassment and, and the ways in which we make excuses for people. And this go, this is about people who identify as men and women. It's not just, you know, a lot of times we focus so much on people who identify as men, male, but men, but um, that doesn't mean that women don't also um, perpetrate and make people feel uncomfortable too. And so I think that's really important um, that we talk about that piece too, because we can't make excuses for them either. It helps with let's that. Not, let's also not erase the experience of, of non-binary individuals or non-gender conforming individuals, because they tend to experience uh, sexual violence at rates higher than the general population. Uh, so I, I always try to trouble that when we, I mean, we can't deny that gender plays a role in what's happening. Uh, but we, uh, I try to ungender as much as possible. And, and to speaking to that, to the starting by believing, you know, I think 
it, it, it is a lot of individual. We, we think of that individual interaction. You know, I, I start by believing a person to me, but as a community and society, we have to start by believing, uh, creating, not only believing, I would say we have to start before starting by believing. We have to start by creating a safe space where people feel comfortable reaching out. And then we start believing. Uh, I mean, I, I do presentations uh, from middle schools and high schools, colleges, adults, and it breaks my heart almost without fail. And I share this all the time with people uh, when even at middle schools, uh, you know, I do a 45 minute presentation and after it's over, almost without fail, there'll be one or two students that linger behind, act like they're tying their shoelaces or gathering things. And as soon as the classroom clears out, they come up to me and they disclose. We were hmm. talking 13, 14 year old kids and I've only talked to them for 45 minutes and I'm the person they come disclose to. We're failing these kids. We're failing survivors when we're not creating that culture, that community, that society where people feel comfortable reaching out. And why? My parents didn't believe me when I told them. I've, I've gotten these things, you know, in middle schools myself. Um, so we have to really look at ourselves as individuals and as a community and society. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to jump in really quickly. Um, Jorge's taught me a bunch over the years, but I've had the same experience, but with police officers that will come up afterwards. Um, it's creating that environment. Wow. I don't even know what to do that with that one. I, some of it comes down to that conversation, that reframing of body autonomy versus consent, having, having the ability to give people that notion that they belong to themselves and, and they get to decide. Sharla, I see you shaking your head, and I think we have a little more time left, so let's make sure that we bring you in here. You're shaking yeah. your head an awful lot about that, and you you, you experience uh, folks uh, as they're disclosing, and you're experiencing the, the, the response that they're getting from their families. So by all means, uh, let's hear from you. Yes, we deal so much with people that come in to disclose to us for the very first time. And we are the first one that has ever believed them, that acknowledges that they um, have truly been victimized by sexual abuse. And the trauma and the emotion that these people are holding on to is just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to hear the victim say, well, I told my best friend and she told me to just suck it up because somebody that she knew was sexually assaulted and they just got over it. It's heartbreaking that that's such a common belief system in our society that people just get over their trauma, that they just get over being sexually abused by somebody else. That should never be a mindset that we as society have. We should never, ever tell somebody that we love and care about that they're just going to get over it. And so it really does go back to um, what Jorge and Angela and Justin have been saying. We need to teach society that we own our bodies. We own what people get to do to us. We own the right to say no. We own the right to, to have control over our bodies. And it really does start in the home. Um, I have a beautiful little crazy four-year-old boy who knows that his penis is his penis alone and nobody gets to touch it. 
And, and that's been my choice to make sure from an early age that he knows that he owns his body. And whether that is, you know, what people want me to teach him or think I should teach him, he needs to know that. And so we do need to change the societal mindset of, of what, you know, what our kids are understanding and knowing about their bodies, because it really does start young. And so I don't want, I don't want anybody to feel shame over their bodies or feel shame disclosing victimization because we really truly want to help our community and really help our victims out there. Thank you so much for coming. That's Sharla Hansen, Victims Advocate from West Valley. Justin Boardman from Boardman Consulting. And of course, our two community co-hosts, guest community co-hosts, Jorge Barraza and Daniel Martinez here. I'm Billy Palmer. And Representative Angela Romero, we'll start by Believing Day. We want people to take the pledge. Uh, let's give people that information on what they should be doing before we get out of here. And then we'll also share um, some phone numbers that people can call if they're choosing to uh, seek help. People can just um, Google um, Start by Believing Day and that'll direct them to the Start by Believing website and they can get download all the information on how to take the pledge. So you're encouraging elected officials, people uh, with their families, people with their companies? Yeah, encouraging everyone in the community to, to take the pledge. And as we move forward, and again, this is a, a step, and I, I was gonna say it's a small step, but it's not a small step. This is a step to encouraging people that if they felt like an individual, if they felt like they've been um, put in a situation that made them uncomfortable, that there are resources and services out there for them. And so what I'm going to do as an elected official is also provide the Rape Recovery Center and UCASA's contact information in case somebody needs to talk to someone immediately. There is a, a hotline. I mean, that's one of the things we want to do next session is make that hotline 24 um, hours and, and local. And so there, there are a lot of things that we want to do to make it easier for someone who's experienced um, um, trauma from sexual assault to be able to get to the resources they need in their local community. So they're not being bounced around from a national um, hotline to a local hotline to another local hotline. And so um, we'll definitely um, want to make sure that people know where to get services. I know that I have um, suggested, given out, or called the Rape Recovery Hotline. Uh, let's give folks that number so they have that resource here from the show. Yeah, so the Rape Recovery Center, we have a 24-7 crisis line. Um, we're the only one in the state of Utah that is in Spanish and English, and we're on live. So we have actual folks answering the phone, um, folks who have gone through our training. So our number is 801. 467-7273. We're open 24-7. Doesn't matter. Holiday, whatever it is, we are available through that. And you don't have to be in crisis. I really like to tell folks that if you feel that you want to disclose something, you need some walkthrough, you just need a resource for a friend, you don't necessarily have to be in this quote-unquote crisis to call the number. It's open to anyone. That's going to be our show, folks. Jorge Barraza had to step out. But uh, thank you so much, Danielle, for agreeing to co-host throughout the month uh, for this uh, series. Really appreciate it. 
Yes, very excited. And join us later this month for parts two and three of our Sexual Assault Awareness Month series as we dig into shame or actually getting beyond shame. That's right. Radioactive is a production of Listener's Community Radio. Laura Jones is executive producer. Associate producer is me, Billy Palmer. We've got Radiothon coming up middle of the month, so be ready when you if you want to support this radio station. Uh, you can go right now onto our webpage and jump ahead of our uh, big fundraiser. But uh, we want to thank all of our listeners and all of the support that we receive in our community for having a station that is willing to have these kinds of conversations well beyond just the talking points. So thanks, Danielle. Thank you, Billy. Democracy Now! is next. Good night.